Momofuku just launched their two new flavors to noodles, the instant noodles. Well, not instant quite, but it takes three and a half to four minutes of cook time. But they're air dried. They're amazingly delicious. They have the right kind of chew. They're not deep fried. Again, I love deep fried instant noodles. And we have two new flavors coming out. The sweet and spicy, which is, you know, sort of based on the true story of uh, bibimbap or bibimbap, the yang yum jiang sauce and a spicy chili, which is very similar to flavors I grew up uh, at, at a great restaurant I've talked about in Vienna, Virginia, Wu's Garden, that's no longer with us. But uh, they had this fantastic chili sauce that was sort of the, the, the first iteration of the first reasons why we created Chili Crunch to begin with. And those are out now, and you can go to shop.momofuku.com. And if you join our Discord, there is a code that will give you 10% off some, some, some mail order goodness. Uh, and you can also visit us. Uh, eventually, those flavors are going to be at the, the stores like Whole Foods and Target and other great supermarkets near you. And again, you can get 10% off any day, 20% off Athletic Brewing, $40 off Comet Tier Coffee. And I recently learned, because I never read the instructions or any of the videos, that you can make a beautiful espresso by shaking it up and adding just a right amount of water. And I've been doing so. It is very, very delicious. And 15% off East Fork. Some great products. And if you're not into any of those things, you should. But you can still join our Discord at majordemomedia.com. There's a link that will take you there. And, of course, you can send an Ask Dave at askdave at majordemomedia.com. Askdave at majordemomedia.com or Slice of Life Insight as well. All right, we'll get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major W Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. I'm joined here with, you know, Lee. Uh, Chris Ying is not available today, uh, even though we had a double pod lined up with him. We got a lot of shit going on. So we're constantly tinkering and reformulating. So that's all I can say, but he'll be back on on, on, on a regular cadence. And I think the only constant with this podcast and anything that we do is change. And that you can depend on it, is that change is going to happen. And we're, we're a moving target and we're always trying to figure things out. And sometimes we're really good at changing the engine and tires as the car is moving. And that's what it feels like half the time. So just want to let you guys know, it'll just be me today with, you know, pinch hitting. We're going to do uh, three things, slice of life, an Ask Dave, and a Moif. All right. So the three things that I love, I, part of it is a little bit prediction. I think you're going to see more and more articles written about spices and spice blends because, you know, things are a little, feel a little bit stagnant. Although uh, you, Helen Rosner just uh, launched her new newsletter of the New Yorker. And that's, that's fantastic and breathing some well-needed life into food writing. But I just think that I'm looking for things that are not getting the shine and the love that they deserve. And things are cyclical. And if you go through old food media, you're going to see like every so often, every food publication are talking about spices and et cetera. And I was looking at 
my spice drawer at home and I have to re up on a lot of the things that I love. And Lior is the owner of La Boite Spices. He used to be a cook at Daniela Sous Chef. He, he has top notch stuff. I'm going to forget a bunch of spice shops. We'll probably provide a link to many of the top ones. I know that there's a handful in San Francisco area. Uh, I'm just giving you the ones that I have worked with a lot. And Atef, she owns SOS Chefs. That was my go-to in the East Village and still is for many things at Momofuku. Great shop where you can buy mushrooms and all kinds of goodies. I, I can't recommend it enough. So I wanted to tell you some of the three spices that I like, and I'm not going to talk about spice blends. The Raza Honuts, the Berber, the Togarashis. Uh, because I'm not an expert in any of those things. I, I, I'm not going to blend them. I like to use them. And I find that spices, weirdly, are just super underrated. It's amazing how much flavor can be imbued into a dish when you have the rice spice blend. And every culture seems to have a great spice blend. With the exception of, say, Korea. Korea just has different grains of kuchigaru. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a make your own situation, right? Where you gotta, you know, make the yangnam jang, or you know, it's usually like sesame seeds and. But I would talk about dry, seeds. dry, dry, yeah. dry blends. Yeah, you know, to- like we don't have a togarashi is brilliant. It's so good, and I love, uh, I just love spice blends, and I've been using them more and more, uh, especially during the peak of the pandemic when you're trying to add flavor and 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 punch to dishes. The reason why you want to buy your blends from a spice shop is because they're experts at it. It's also like, do you want to fix your own engine? Some people could, but just give it to the experts to do. And their spice blends are great and they're personalized. But I'm talking about things that are sort of singular items that I try to refresh and to refill and to make sure that are always in my pantry. One is kefir lime. And you can buy kefir lime leaves frozen, even fresh sometimes at the supermarket or if you go to an Asian supermarket. But I like it. I keep my kefir lime in the, in, in the, in the freezer powder form. And, and a little bit goes a long way. It's fantastic. And it's not just for stews. It's uh, stews and stuff like that. It's great just a little bit on a grilled meat marinade. Kefir lime has a flavor that it's hard to put your finger on. You know, it's just a magical, magical, magical flavor. It's one of my favorite flavors out there. And clearly I would prefer fresh, but there's something about the pulverized leaves as a powder form that is just super, super delicious. And if you never cook with that, you should. And the next one is new. It's black pepper. And there are like Burgundy and Bordeaux and other regions of the world where grapes have their terroir. Black pepper has their terroir as well, and mostly through Southeast Asia, but mo- you know the, the home of it is sort of the su- southern tip of India. We filmed Ugly Delicious there, Black Pepper, and that was one of the most powerful moments in my life food-wise because I got to see how it was all done. And it's amazing for something that we use in our foods all the time. And I'd also argue that pepper is, black pepper is used way too much 
in dishes, unnecessarily so. But when you get great black pepper, like truly top-tier black pepper, a little goes a long way. And it's amazing. It's simply amazing. And it, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And I would also argue if you care about sort of like sustainability, all those things, you want to buy it from these farms as well. So you can, whatever your local or mail order or spice shop is that cares about customizing and getting the right, right stuff, upgrade your black pepper and get a good pepper mill. And the funny thing is that Major Domo, our studio, we don't even have a good pepper mill and we have shitty black pepper. But um, if you want to improve your food, get great black pepper. It is, I think about it quite a bit. The first sort of Europeans that tasted and I would imagine like the spice, spice roads where things were being traded right? Like, I don't know if it's a Silk Road. I, I Clearly, some traveler from Europe tasted it. And the taste was so powerful that it changed the course of history. Because if you taste really beautifully, just aromatic, dried, when I say fresh, it's dried. and <laughs> It's not necessarily fresh. But the, the essential oils on it dissipate at, at some point. And when you chew on one, it is a flavor explosion. It's hard to describe. So sometimes I imagine, which is why this great chef, Juan Marie Arzak, always says to look at things with a child's uh, imagination. If you start to look at everything for the, like you saw it for the first time, I think it's a humbling experience and it sort of resets a lot of things. And here's where tasting black pepper and tasting food is literally time travel. If you taste a, a really high-quality, best-in-class black peppercorn, you're going to taste the exact same flavor that someone in Europe tasted, whoever it was, for the first time. Exactly. That's what's crazy. And before black pepper, food must have sucked. <laughs> before spice, food must have been terrible. A lot of boiling a lot of just salt and thyme and lavender, rosemary, but those are herb. Spices changed everything. And you can literally imagine someone tasting, like if this was like 600 years ago and I was some European motherfucker and I tasted it for the first time, I'd be like, it's the kind of thing that you have to tell everybody you have to taste this. It's unfortunate that it's had horrific consequences because of it, but that's the power of it. So if you're thinking about this and you're listening while Dave's going on and on about, about black pepper, well, it's arguably the most important fucking food discovery of our lifetimes. Because <laughs> what fucking, it's very few things change the course of humanity. Oil being one, black pepper, it's like in a very rare group of fucking things. And the last one is, it's a, it's a, it's something that I never really used until about five years ago, and that's allspice. And to me, I love allspice because it has notes of clove and not really cumin or coriander or I don't even know how to describe it. But I find that the flavor when ground 
adds so much depth. A little bit goes a long way. And I find that I'm adding more and more allspice to many things because just a little bit seems to tie everything together like acid or uh, sweetness that I like to put in my food. And uh, allspice clearly is like, if you have Bob Marley representing Jamaica, I think allspice also represents Jamaica as well. It's just an amazing ingredient and the way it is utilized makes sense incorporating it in Asian flavors. So if you're thinking about, well, that sounds crazy. Well, there's a lot of Chinese Asian flavors in Jamaican food. So you can almost do that reverse osmosis almost and start integrating those flavors just a little bit. I put it a tiny, tiny, tiny bit when I make kalbijim, Korean braised short ribs. And it's fantastic. You know, it's looking at me like I'm totally crazy. I won't knock it till I try it. But definitely well, do, you, do you like do you do you like Jamaican braised oxtails? Who doesn't love Jamaican braised oxtails? That's unless you're a vegan. Yeah, no. Well, the, well, there's oftentimes soy sauce in that. Right. A lot of umami, and I'm saying that flavor. If you use it in a tiny bit, can be a um, again the base in a song. It just sort of. Ties a lot of flavors together. Anyway, those are the three things that I like a lot, and we'll try to link some of the some of the stores, spice stores that we buy things from. Anyway, let's let's uh, we'll come right back. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. I was with some friends and we saw another group of people at a distance. And I'm trying to make it anonymous so people can't, that listening may not know exactly who the hell I'm talking about. So with a group of friends, there's four of us, and at a distance, you see another group of people that you know. And inevitably, someone else asks, like, who is that person? And then you say, oh, that person is this, this, and this, and they're with X, Y, and Z. I asked, like, it seems from this person's description of that group, there's an individual there that they don't like whatsoever. You just tell by the tone. And there's an incident that happened between them that has happened to me and I'm sure has happened to everybody that's listening. You know, it's looking with total bewilderness. I'm listening. It ruined their friendship. They were, so it was one of those things like they were dating as friends where you're, you're hanging out, you're hanging out. And then, 
somebody does something where you no longer hang out. So the friendship doesn't get to actually consummate into good friends. And it turns out, I don't know if I like this person. So they were at a, a, a game. They had, uh, they were eating and drinking. The bill comes. It was like an event. The check should be divided by the group. This one person, the person in question says, I'm not paying for this. I didn't drink anything. And I didn't eat that and that. We all know this situation. And it's, I think it's okay to know this kind of person. The person that I think the friends had a very famous episode where they all go out to dinner. I think it was the first season and some people are, are, are like, or only ordered an appetizer and their other friends ordered like three, four courses and they didn't think it was fair. That I agree. I don't think it's fair. I can understand that. But this is something that I think there's a point where if you're hanging out with people that are having a good time and it wasn't egregious and you're still enjoying it, I don't know if this is a generational thing. I don't think it's appropriate to tell the group that I'm not going to pay for things that I did in order. And that's my opinion. Mm. Mm. And my friend was so upset by this. That is why their friendship never blossomed into a proper, real good friends type of thing. Because he was like, fuck this person. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think presented in a situation, I, I understand too, where it may not be fair. If somebody, I just, I don't know. Part of it is I'm not going to hang out with people that probably do something like that. But if it's, if it's something where somebody was drinking like extremely expensive bottle of champagne and I'm not drinking anything. Yeah. I, I could understand that. But if it's not, and it's just like some beers, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, it is really choosing between your friends and money, right? Like you're kind of thinking like, Hey, keep the vibe going. But in fairness, Dave, like it's, it could be like, maybe they have some sort of moral stance against it. Maybe they just have something against Anheuser-Busch for some strange reason. I don't know. Like could be anything, right? Like they just have like some weird quirk that precludes. But that's the thing is I'm on the side of, I think you should just like bite the bullet. It sucks. Mm -hmm. And just like carry on. So I think this kind of slice of life question really divides right down the middle, like politics. Uh, I think 50% of the people will say, no, absolutely. If I, I'm dining with four to six people and they're eating and drinking things that I have literally zero to do with, then why should I split the bill evenly? I completely understand that. But it's also reading the room as well, to some degree. And I also understand the other perspective where somebody even if they're all sort of the same disposable income level, chooses not to, you know, pay. I understand the, the, the group feeling of like, well, what the fuck? They're, these are the small, like, microaggressions that turn out to be big things. 
I feel like you are in a situation, and I think that the younger the audience, the younger you are, the more you're like, no big deal. I'll just Venmo exactly what I owe. Yeah, I will say it's it's kind of unpopular when, and it's actually like, it's a group of guys who are all making similar amounts of money. They all got enough money to go around. And then there's that one guy who's like, well, I didn't need any of that. And I didn't need any of this. And he's like, you know, calculating out just his portion. And then a like a, usually like a 12% tip or 15% like just sad tip. And then just sends it and fucks off. He just leaves. That guy it was ostracized from our dining group. Like literally was not allowed to eat with us again. That's what I mean. It, it's a, it's a, it's what Kareem calls nunchi. It's reading the room and the situation. Yeah. And I think that there's a way to address it maybe after the fact, right? I don't know. I, I thought it was an interesting thing to talk about. It's not really discussed. And I think the answer to that question changes throughout your age range as well. Because it's this type of question that gets brought up regardless of your income level. It's a situation that we're inevitably all going to be in. And it's a fucking deal breaker for a lot of people. And there's no real answer. So I, I can't give a solution. My only solution is this. I find that if somebody is like dining with people, it's, is, it, is it a foregone conclusion that the wealthiest person pays for the dinner? and does that influence how you eat you know like i know i I don't know because like listen i know that there was a couple comments on discord like it's just talking about wealth i'm really not trying Mm -hmm. to do that but like this is for, for like korean culture as well it's like yeah regardless of how much money you have the respect is actually trying to pay for the bill first right I think the answer to a lot of these problems is just fucking pay for the bill. And the reason why I say just pay for the bill is that next time, how you can sort of make this communally a a, a burden that's carried is if you're going to dine out with people, you're going to dine out with them all the time, Mm -hmm. more than likely. And the next time somebody else gets the bill. So you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Aren't you judging where you go next? Like once, once you drop it, like say you went to a really nice restaurant, you drop it and then, uh, they're like, oh yeah, let's go get a, you know, let's go get something more affordable next time. You know, like, and then you end up with them just like, you know, eating off the value menu or like happy yeah, hour. You're like, God I, damn it. And that's why I want to talk about this. I, I, I don't think that there's a way to, to come out of this with a hard and fast rule. Mm-hmm. It is touchy. It is. It's a really touchy, super touchy subject. You know, the one thing I know for certain is anytime someone does credit card roulette, that always, somebody always gets their feelings hurt. No. You got to have a good group. (laughs) No, I know, but I still feel like that is, that's always the case that you feel like a loser when you have to pay. Yes. But you have the gratitude of everybody around you. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this to the slice question. You can send them to askdave at majordomemedia.com. Situations that you've been in, scenarios. I think you could write a whole book about situations. I can't wait to read some of these. 
I'm so excited. Because it's very difficult to suss out. And listen, I, who's, just the Korean culture alone is, is, is like a, a 500-page novel about who pays. The policy. And why is it mainly Korean? I have no idea. No, it's. I think it's a lot of East Asian cultures. Like Chinese folks go through it too. Like Chinese American folks, I, I hear about it all the time. They're like, the 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 trickery that goes on and the intrigue, like the backroom stuff, you know, to just be the one who paid for it and then like to be able to say like, oh, don't worry about it. I already, you know, I contacted this server two weeks ago, you know, met them in a dark alleyway and gave them my credit card. That's it's it's pretty commonplace, I think, among yeah. East Asian cultures. All right, all right. I I don't know why I assumed that it was. Like a distinctly Korean trait. Oh, we're we're but, the most vocal about it for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can see both sides. I totally can because it's not fair. It's actually clearly not fair for the person that's not drinking or partaking in the other things that the group is. I think by the sheer numbers, they're in the right. <laughs> they're in the right. No question. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's privileged to be able to say, yeah, don't doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it's like easy to say something like that. Yeah. So I guess on paper, the person that is partaking in everything and asking to split it equally is the person at fault. Yes. Mathematically speaking. Mathematically speaking, but it does not translate to social currency in the same way yeah the math on the vibes definitely doesn't check out that part at all no there's resentment real passive aggressive behavior it's fucking weird and i think it's one of those very few social moments that nobody has an answer for makes sense by the book but doesn't really play out in real life Mm -hmm. it's a tough one all right we're not going to figure it out today yeah (laughs) Okay, uh, we'll get to an Ask Dave. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. All right, everybody. We got an Ask Dave brought to you by Athletic Brewing. Teach high schoolers one dish or one technique. Hi, Dave. I'm a high school culinary arts teacher in San Antonio, Texas. We have a great program where students are able to learn in a commercial-style kitchen. Have a student-led catering company where they are paid hourly, and we even have a barbecue team. Is there a technique, skill, or dish I could teach my students that you believe will really benefit those who want to go to culinary school or work straight into the industry? I really want to make sure I set these kids up for success. P.S. I'm obsessed with the Evil Cook's ice cream trompo. I can't wait to show my kids this invention during Culinary Innovations Unit. That's cool. You know, 
shout out to culinary school teachers. I, I think two of my friends that I used to work with are playing to be cooking school instructors and they're going to be awesome at that. Yeah, I think teaching is, teaching food is really hard. Is there a technique, skill, or dish? I mean, it's not, it's not fun. I would say the one skill I would drill upon them is learn how to have flexible mise en place, right? And, and, and it's really just focusing on organization. Um, and you know it's laughing because we just had a big talk about this before. But it's like mental organization of knowing that you, you can hold on to things but not too firmly because things change constantly and being flexible enough to adapt to the situation, but also knowing when you get into a situation, taking the time to actually observe what it needs and how things work and operate inevitably to get the food out the door to a paying customer, to a wedding guest, et cetera. Like there's so many ways that you're prepping for someone to consume food. It doesn't have to be in a restaurant per se. That's a skill that gets drilled into you. I remember going to cooking school. I know it's called mise en place, and mise en place is the French term for everything in its place. It is the lifeblood. It is the heart, right, of a kitchen. Everybody has to do it, and the people that have the best mise en place may not are almost always the best cooks. And the funny thing is, is people might be more naturally gifted at cooking, and they might have... They might not need to worry about organization as much because they're so gifted at cooking and they're so fast at it. But I found that the cooks that are not as naturally gifted then have to spend the time to be organized. I always remember Jonathan Benno. The, he, he became the chef at Per Se, was at French Laundry. Benno taught me so much. And Akhtar Nawab, another chef that has Alta Calidad and a bunch of restaurants now. Back in the day, 2000 at Kraft, I remember watching them. And it was Nantucket Bay season. And at that time, they were rotating who would cook fish station. And Oktar is one of the most God-gifted, talented cooks you've ever seen. And I think there's a lot of people that would say if they had one person to cook their last fucking meal, many people would say Oktar Nawab. Just fantastic. He's so fast at cooking. He's so goddamn good at cooking. Completely different style than Jonathan Benno, who isn't as fast. But if you looked at his station and how it was set up just on Nantucket Bay scallops, which are the tiny scallops that you're going to quickly cook off and some butter and some thyme and a squeeze of lemon juice. You know, Octar was just like, you know, taking them out of the third pan, putting in, you know, the pan, like, just taking it out scoops or, or spoons at a time. But the thing is, by doing that, you almost have to spend time to judge how many scallops you're taking, right? Because you want to get, you know, I'd, I'd probably say 14 to 18 base scallops per, per order. So that takes time. And if you open up the walk-in or the low boy, the, the refrigeration that's used to, you know, take, cook, to cook the food, John, you open up Jonathan's low boy. I looked into it. Everything was meticulously organized in envelopes of parchment paper of 
exact weight of Nantucket Bay scallops. So all they had to do was maybe not as fast as Octar, but I thought way more effective and way more efficient to just almost reach blindly. He would just open it up, not even look behind him, pull it out, go. So by being more organized, he was shaving off three to four seconds per dish. Those may not seem like a lot, but when you're doing like 80 orders of that per day, you know, it's two, two plus minutes. Two plus minutes, again, if you've seen the last episode of The Bear, two minutes is a fucking lifetime. And every second you can start to add up when you're in service matters tremendously. So, you know, it never really affected Octor service because he's so fast at cooking. Mise en place allows somebody that may not be naturally gifted to be as good or better than the better cook, which is why it's the skill that is the least sexy, the least cool. But if you teach people to center their entire existence cooking around mise en place and understanding the flow of a kitchen, they will be successful anywhere they go. Because that is the situation where the tortoise wins the race, for sure. As a dish, I just think that they should make family meal. And they should all learn how to make great vinaigrettes, for sure. A variety of vinaigrettes. But in general, it's, it's funny. It's like a good vinaigrette can, can really improve the morale of a kitchen staff. Seriously, somebody in- makes like blue cheese dressing. Everyone's like, oh, shit. Someone makes ranch dressing from scratch. I was like, oh, whoa, thanks. <laughs> I'm laughing because I don't know who eats salad in San Antonio, but uh, yeah, I guess a vinaigrette. (laughs) Which is why they need to know. (laughs) Anyway, it's probably not the answer you're looking for. And unfortunately, to this culinary teacher, MT, you've probably already enforced this idea to them enough. And if you're listening, you're like, this guy's droning on and on and on about organization. Well. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's laughing because we literally just had an hour conversation about organization before we recorded this spot. Everything I learned, I learned in, 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 in cooking, in cooking school. Because it allows you to think about when things get chaotic and like entropy happens, it gives you the confidence to make order out of chaos. That's, that's it. And regardless of whatever kind of food this, your, your, your cooks venture into, if they have that confidence, that is the foundation that everything else can be built upon. Um, all right. I think that answers that question. We'll get into a moith. All right. You know what we got? All right, Dave. So this one's kind of like an Ask Dave moith hybrid. Uh, somebody asked about... Pitching the perfect game in Tokyo. Okay, so like a perfect day of eating in Tokyo. What does that look like? And I guess you could do one like reservations version where like it really is like the perfect day of eating. And then try to do one where like you don't have the special access in the reservations and you're just walking around. So two versions of a perfect game. The actual one and uh, one without like the booking, the special treatment or anything like that. So. The perfect day, and we'll start with the high-end meal. I'm probably going to spend time 
I, I don't know. A lot of people are getting Airbnbs in like the cooler, hipper neighborhoods. I'd probably still want to be based in Rapongi. I hate Rapongi, but it's so centrally located. That's why it's important. Starting off the day pains me because if you're staying in a hotel, almost all the hotels have fantastic Japanese breakfast. breakfast. You have to pass on breakfast. You have to pass. It's hard. It's very hard to do, but you're going to have to pass. Trust me. You cannot start off the day with 800 to 900 calories that you're going to, you know, be able to taste basically anywhere else. I'm not going to say any of the coffee shops because you could start off your day at one of the top coffee shops. Last time we did this, I can't remember what. Last time we, I think it was Lucky Peach, we, we published a chart of like the top five coffee shops. And then we go to Japan and we ruined all those coffee shops because they were only full of tourists. So I'm going to be somewhat vague on that, but I would probably go to one of the top coffee shops. There's a place I, I have in mind, but I'm not going to say it. But if you go to James Jean's social media Instagram account, the artist, I think it's a hint. There's a place that serves coffee that I would love to go. So that's where I would go. Just starting off with coffee, suppress the appetite a little bit. I think I'm going straight to Sarenkan. Right? <laughs> I'm not eating. I'm not eating till 11 o'clock. Okay. I'm not eating. Again, eight to 900 calories are important because I feel like on a perfect day of eating, you, you can do around six to 8,000 calories. Truly, that sounds ridiculous, but you're going to be walking a lot. You're probably going to be burning a tremendous amount just walking. So we're starting at 11 o'clock, and I'm going to Sarancon, and I'm going to eat three pizzas by myself. <laughs> Listen, there's, there's a couple new pizza spots that are very popular right now. I haven't been to Tokyo in four years. I haven't checked them out, so I'm not going to talk about them. So there, there are a couple that people are saying, hey, this is now the best, but I'm just going to Sarancon and I'm going to get a marinara and I'm going to get a margarita. And then I'm going to debate on getting another marinara <laughs> after I eat the, the first two. That's a three pizza person spot. It's like, I'm sorry. It is. They're, they're Neapolitan style pies. Oh my God. You've, you've probably cleared like 2,000 calories at that point already. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, he's got a sick Pomodoro pasta as well. So I, I'd have to split that too. Probably. Because the Savoy and Azujuban is now closed. So I just don't feel like it has the right vibe to me. So I'm going to Sarangan. So that's the only pizza. So that gets me to I mean twelve thirty. <laughs> <laughs> There's a branch of Hanmura An that and again, is it the best in Tokyo or Japan? Absolutely not. But the owner's son still operates it. Oh, actually, what am I saying? It's closed. I can't go to Hamaran. <laughs> it's closed. I'd go to get. I'd go to get. A, my my second lunch would be soba or udon. 
with Anago. Fried fried CEO. Okay, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. the spot? Yeah. I mean, listen, I I I, I don't have a name. Okay. I, you know what? I, I try to go is to see Akio Hosoda at Fuyurin, the place that I used to work at. I still think it was the best soba I've ever had in my life. And you're never going to find it because you're never going to get invited. And God damn it. It's been so long. And again, that was the only job I've ever been fired from. So we'll see. <laughs> so 1230 walking. Now, oh, yeah, that, that would actually work. I think Saren can. Yeah. 1230, Wherever it is, you're going to walk. You're going to walk a lot. So it's... Then on the way home, I'm going to stop by a Lawson's, and I'm going to have an egg salad and a hot and spicy chicken nugs. Yeah. And I'll wash it down with an Aquarius. Great, great sports drink. It's it, delicious. It's a, it's a sports drink? I've never heard of yeah. this before. It's so salty. It's so good. <laughs> I'm walking, and then I'm probably going to stop by uh, in Rapongi. I can't remember the name, but one of the shops that sell perfect fruit. And I'm going to probably buy a box of cherries or like a $25 orange. Yeah, probably a $25 orange. Yeah, for sure, $25 orange. Because <laughs> like one orange can get up to like 50 bucks too. And it's the most asinine thing to say, but. It's one of those things where the more expensive the fruit is, the more delicious it actually is. <laughs> it's so good. The world's most efficient oh, fruit market. Yeah. So it's like, you know, three o'clock. I think I come home and I take a nap. I take a nap. Because, well, I would say this. I, you know, I've actually done this with Little Meg. If you want to know about Japanese food and just sort of gastronomy in general, Little Meg on Instagram. That's your handle. She's unquestionably one of the greatest gourmands in the world. She is one just goat status diner. We had probably 15 meals in one day. I'm yeah, sorry, you yeah. Said we had like 15, 15 meals in one day. We had six kakagoris. We went to two sushiyas, we had jumbo yakiniku, and we had, no, and we also had um, shima steak. With two steakhouses, we went to jumbo, shima, steakhouse, and we went to Masamichi Anamoto's restaurant. And we had six, six, yaki, six, uh, six kakagoris in one day. And we had all the sweets at 7-Eleven. The Mont Blanc is delicious at 7-Eleven. It was probably the most food I've ever consumed in 24 hours of my life. Uh, I would imagine so. Six different places for Kakigori? She is a Kakigori. She is the Kakigori master. I know. She's, she's the Kakigori queen. But six different places? In no, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how much Kakigori is. And every... She wanted to give me the full breadth of what's what she likes. I'm I'm so sure. Ask her. I, I listen, little Meg. I love you to death, but that was a one hell of a day of eating. <laughs> oh, I forgot. There was another restaurant. It was a 
It was an invitation-only restaurant. Oh, my God. We really ate so much that day. Yeah, we went to six kakigori restaurants. We went to two steakhouses. We had Anamoto for sushi later that night. And for lunch, we had a kaiseki. Uh, <laughs> Invitation-only kaiseki uh, restaurant. Holy shit. That was all in one day. And six kakigoris. And all the sweets at 7-Eleven. Anyway, oh, I'd probably say, yeah, that, that was probably like the most epic day, perfect day of eating. Because I got a little bit of everything. Is it the perfect, perfect, perfect day? No, I gave up like four hits. But <laughs> didn't get any pizza. Didn't get a lot of different things. Didn't get a lot of things. I would also say, man, God, I got to get to Tokyo. There's Pellegrino's, this in, like a five-seat restaurant. It's, some, so it's probably some of the best Italian food you've ever had. I've been craving that. I'd love to go back. I want to get a proper tempura meal as well. So I, you know what it is? I would just hit all the spots, and I would plan it months in advance to make sure that you got the reservations. But in a 24-hour period, I think it would be difficult, but you'd have to ask yourself, what are the most important calories you want to consume? You have to knock out sushi, and that's going to be for dinner. All right? Dinner is going to be sushi. Pizza. You have to get pizza in Tokyo in 24 hours. Oh, man, I didn't even think about ramen. (laughs) This is so hard. This is so hard. This is why I told you about it yesterday. I was like, you're going to have to think about this a little bit. (laughs) It's it's no joke. No, there's no joke. I think I'm going to have to come back. And write this up proper. But on the cheaper side, I think I might just do convenience stores all day. Convenience marts. <laughs> I could spend $25 and eat every meal at every supermarket. I mean, every convenience mart. From Family Mart to Lawson's to 7-Eleven to Lawson's Natural, which is like the select version of Lawson's. What am I missing? Yamazaki? It's just that one with the... You got Famima already. Yeah. Okay. So, no, no. Lawson's, I'm getting chicken nuggets. I've already written this down. These are my journal. These are my notes to myself when I go to Japan to order. Lawson's, I'm getting chicken nuggets. I'm getting the black pepper chicken nuggets. They have a new and improved baked goods section. Still not as good as 7-Elevens, I think. But I would get an uncru- one of their uncrustable sandwiches at Lawson's as well. And I would get a... Uh, it's really a debate who has the best egg salad sandwich. So I'd go to egg salad sandwich with a... Like a beef katsu sandwich. And you cannot sleep at the ham and cheese with the iceberg lettuce. It is so choice. And I, I probably get... Onigiri. Yeah. So that 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 that's that could be breakfast. <laughs> Family Mart, I'm getting a bento. Family Mart, I feel like has the better bento boxes. Their fried chicken also is really good. I believe Family Mart's fried chicken. No, no, that's mini stops. Family Mart's fried chicken is still very, very good. Very good. 
I know when I said that I like Lawson's fried chicken, there are people in Japan that are like, you're an idiot. But I think it's really good. And maybe I just like the packaging. Family Mart does have be- what they do make better than anyone else, I think, is their Nikumans, the, 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 the hand-held steamed, bra- like a bow, but it's enclosed. The Nikuman, it's like a buck. It's delicious. 7-Eleven, I'm going sweets. I'm going donuts. I'm going, they have this, uh, this sweet pancake thing. Whew, so good. The chocolate cake gateau, gateau delicious. And the Mont Blanc, whew. 7-Eleven pastry, I don't know what the fuck, but it's fantastic. Mini Stop has these chicken nuggets. They're fried chicken, but it's like mini, mini pearls of potato or like wheat. I don't know what it is, but they're like mini balls of crunch that make them fantastic. They're like little tater, tiny, 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 like tater tots on the the chicken itself. So it's like a super crunchy batter. But to me, that's... Probably much the only thing on mini stop and circle K. I've never I've never been to enough circle K's to 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 know. So the reason I say to eat cheaply, you could go to a lot. You could go to a salaryman's soba shop. You could go get yakiniku. No, you not yakiniku. You could go get cheap yakitori. A lot of those things. I think the cheapest thing you can do is just eat in the convenience mart, and I would be fucking so happy. All right. It's hot out. So I don't know if we've talked about this, but Yerne, hot soup on a hot day. Can you do the hot soup on a hot day? And if if you do, which one is it? Hot soup on a hot day. This is fighting fire with fire. And this is really, I would say, I can't think of any region of the world that does this other than Asia. In Japan, the only hot soup you can have is ramen. And it doesn't make any sense in the world why you would want to eat ramen on like a 100-degree day. But it's, it just gives you that temporary – it's like temporary air conditioning because your mouth and you're, you're sweating, but it's not from the outside. It's from the bowl of soup. Koreans – I feel like Koreans don't eat hot soup on a hot day as much. It's a it's an old person thing. Like it's like an OG thing, and it's usually but even time still. Time. I, I yeah they, but I feel that's like a urban legend samgyetang because you never see old people eating samgyetang on a hot day. I have, I have Where? in Korea, legitimately in Korea. It. Yeah, dude, I've never seen it, dude. And it's during like Changba during like the typhoon season. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So samgyetang is like a baby chicken, a young chicken stuffed with jujubes. The reason I don't like it is I don't like ginseng. And I think the ginseng ruins the dish. It's, <laughs> and that's why old people eat it too because of all the, you know. That's part. And it's got rice. No, I, 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 it's not my dish. Not my dish. I'd rather eat. I think I've had more yukejang on a hot day. In Korea than anything else. That's a strong choice too. Yeah. Yukajang is a spicy shredded beef soup. Very, very good. China, it's hot pot. Yeah. Regardless, right? Like, yeah. 
but Korea is Korea. We own the cold noodles. There's no country that has cold noodles as as great as Korea does. And I'm gonna say that without doing any homework or research, but I can't imagine there's even a second place that's close to us. I think Japan is. They've got the sukumen, the soba. They got so so man. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah so man. Yeah. It's not a boring. <laughs> I mean, it's two Koreans on the pod today. No ying. So, um, no hot soup. It's something that boggles the mind for most people, but there's n- when when it gets hot in Asia, it gets hot. It gets so hot, and man, it's sometimes the only thing you can do. But uh, I. I've never stopped eating something hot on a hot day. Put it that way. Okay. So not that you would necessarily seek it out to like cool yourself down, which is what these, you know. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't eat hot soups on a hot day to stay cool. I eat hot things on a hot day because I'm a glutton and I'm fat. (laughs) That's a strong (laughs) You can land on that. Okay, um, let's do a... Go ahead, sorry. No. Okay, uh, let's do a quick uh, fuck, marry, kill. Uh, onion rings, zucchini fries, and fried mushrooms. Oh, man, that's tough. Kill fried mushrooms, because that's just not acceptable. <sighs> not acceptable. I'd fuck fried zucchini, and I'd marry onion rings. Man. You? That's- I'd marry the onion, the mushrooms, actually, and there's when they're good, they're so good. So, marry mushrooms, fuck zucchini, kill onion rings. So, kind of the opposite of yours. Just onion rings, you know what they are. Uh, It's okay to be wrong. All right, and then uh, let's do a quick underrated, overrated. Foods on a stick. All right. All right, Dave. I need your take on corn dogs. Go ahead. Let me have it. I made corn I made corn dogs the other day for a friend that came over. She was. I wanted to do something nice for her because she was not having the best uh, best month. And I surprised her with corn dogs. And I've never made a corn dog. I made it from you know what I used? I didn't have any baking powder or uh, baking soda for leavening agents. So I used pre-mixed pancake powder. And I had some leftover cornmeal, added an egg, added some sugar. Yeah, that's what. And, and then, and then I, I cut off some chopsticks, so some wooden chopsticks, and I, and I used that as the insert. And then I used the, a, what did I use? The Nutribullet container because it's long. Oh, and I just dunked it in, mm-hmm. and that's exactly the recipe. I, and I and I and I actually did a shallow fry on it. It was delicious. I, I learned that if you over dip a corn dog, it will burst on you. So you need to get the a nice, even distribution of the batter, mm-hmm. but. It gave me a newfound appreciation for the corn dog. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. So 
Corn dogs. Underrated. Mm. Okay. Uh, satay. Satay. Oh, shit, man. Good satay. It's one of those things where you think that satay, it, it gets, it's become such a generic thing. And I think one of the greatest culinary inventions that I don't understand why people buy it but is when you go to like Mr. Chow's or something like that and they have their satay that's like $45. It's literally like $45. I marvel. I marvel at that. Which is like the sauce is literally like peanut butter and, <laughs> and, and like mirin and sh- something else, but nothing complicated per se. And it's chicken breast on a stick. Man, but people eat that shit up. I think satay done poorly is still edible. But when it's done well, it's a transcendent experience. What, what, can you give me an example of one time where it was really good or anywhere you... Yeah, like, I actually had it recently. I was in Orange County and my Grace and I went to some pop-up randomly. And it was delicious. It was delicious. Actually, it was, at, it was, a, it was a wedding. We were close by and then it was at... There was a pop-up from this chef um, in Tulum that was doing it and... We didn't know much about it. The satay hit. And when they, you know, they always say, oh, the satay, the satay. I'm like, oh, whatever, whatever. And I knew the meal was going to be different once I tasted it. I was like, this is, this is legit good. Nice. But good satay can be great. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And then, even, like you said, bad satay is still edible. I can, I can still eat it. I'm not mad. So, can't all right. Find out. How much the satay is at Mr. Chow's? Let's do a quick yeah, let me Google ma- that. price fix. I'm <laughs> going to say in New York, the Mr. Chow's chicken satay is $48. That is insane. Unless they're giving you $48. $48. I'm going with $48. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, 38. I'll go 38, 38. 38? 38 okay. 38, 38. Okay. I'm going to look where, it where up. I think I'm right. I'll take the I'll take the under on that. What up? Eight fifty. No. That's what right. it's showing me on. Let me see on um, even like DoorDash or something or some delivery service. Let's see what they charge. Oh, eighteen dollars a piece. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> Holy shit. So three pieces is fucking fifty four dollars. I yeah, I told you, I told oh you, God. I told you. It is Yo. bravo, bravo, Mr. Chow's satay. <laughs> if you look at the photo of it, it, I mean, listen. God bless Mr. Chow's for being able to do this because just look at a photo of it, and they serve it on a silver platter. One of those is 18 ball. I just say, you know what? Fucking, I'm glad he's robbing them. (laughs) Oh my God, Dave. (laughs) And it is one of the most beloved food items for people in LA and New York. Man. I'm happy. Mr. Chow is doing, I'm just jealous. I'm jealous. (laughs) And it's tasty. I have to try it now. I can't not eat that. But $54 for three pieces? Dude, 
I was I should have stayed at 48 bucks. I remember it was just something outrageous. And I saw that every table, it's the kind of thing where you look on a table and mm-hmm. then everybody, because I'd never been there before. And then my friend's like, you've never been as Mr. Chow? It's the kind of thing that people get excited to get. It is one of the reasons that people go there to eat, this chicken satay. And then you look around, everybody's getting multiple orders of chicken satay, like throughout dinner. I'm like, whoa, what is this alternate reality? This is crazy. <laughs> Oh Trying to sell God. a bowl of ramen for 18 bucks. I, I, I get... <laughs> you get one stick of satay from Mr. Chow. Get your money, Mr. Chow. Get your money. Get your Let's money. go, Mr. Chow. Let's go. Elote, corn. Overrated, underrated. And I know it sticks in your teeth, but no, seriously. Overrated, underrated. On a stick. I don't do it. Don't do it? I don't do it. I don't do it. I don't do it. I'd rather have it off. I, I don't eat corn on a stick. I don't need corn on the cob ever anymore. All right. And popsicles. Overrated, underrated. Underrated. Paletas are delicious. Good humor is delicious. The only thing that is not delicious are popsicles that have, you know, they're like light in, in the sugar component. You know? The healthy popsicles? No, oh, no, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> the healthy popsicles. But I would probably say, does it count to have the strawberry shortcake eclair popsicle thing from Good Humor as the best popsicle of all time? Oh, I'm a push pop guy, but that one's... It's very strong. Oh, it's so strong. And it's so iconic. Like, you only need to see those little, like, you know, the little strawberry bits on the outside. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I'm trying to watch my weight, man. This is this is hard. <laughs> Ooh, that's a banger. All right, guys. We're going to come back to you with some new podcasts with Chris. We've banked a bunch because of travel and end of August and holidays, etc. So if we recorded a bunch and it sounds like we've recorded a bunch, it's because we have recorded a bunch. But we're 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 almost officially moved into the studio. We're recording this in the studio. We're still recording stuff in the Spotify studio. And um, yeah. One thing I wanted to say before we go, you know, reminded me, uh, things I like and dislike. I've been getting these ads on my phone for the Wagyu of pork. You Rico? No. It's called the Wagyu of pork. I think that we're going to have to do a larger conversation about marketing of food in general. Mm-hmm. Like things that are just sort of weird pet peeves of mine are like when California makes Wisconsin cheddar, you know, or like Wisconsin cheddar being marketed, but it's not made in Wisconsin, something like that. Wagyu, Wagyu of pork. It's up there with chai tea. It's up there with kimchi cabbage. It's up there with... But it doesn't make any sense. And the reason is, is Wagyu literally means, like, Japanese. <laughs> it's like a Japanese cow. It literally means Japanese cow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know why I'm a stickler for this, but it doesn't make any sense 
to call something the Japanese cow of pork. <laughs> That's what it translates to. The Japanese cow of pork. And I don't know of any other way you can translate that where it makes sense. The Japanese cow of pork. And I look at that and I'm like, is there some special history? And if you look at a lot of the Wagyu of pork, you might say that it's the Iberico pig. And if you're not familiar with Iberico pig, it is, you know, an heirloom pig, but they, they, they finish raising it on acorns. And it's the ham, you know, and, and it's so specific that they only use the ham for the best prosciutto, prosci- not prosciutto, uh, jamon on the other side that the pig doesn't lie on, right? Uh, so the, the, the side of the leg that's facing to the sky, that's the ham that they're going to use because the other one develops too much muscle per se, right? There's a lot of lore to it and sort of justified because it's delicious. It is delicious. Some of those pigs are in some island. I think uh, Sean Brock introduced this to me. Akasaw, I can't remember. There's a train of islands in this, in, near South Carolina that I think Cortez dropped off. And they're like descendants of the Iberico pig. And it's probably the most original strain of pig scent, uh, that exists. Because they would drop off animals so they would have food and provisions on the way back home. Yeah, it's Asabal. I think it's Asabal Island. Uh, the islands in the, in South Carolina, and those are delicious as well. Am I right? Yes, Asabal huh. Island. It's off uh, the coast of Georgia, actually. So close enough. And that they say is the original closest original strain to Iberico pigs we have because you know they're and they're delicious and. I, I was for a period really into the heritage breed pigs very, very much. And I think with the exception of say, like, I forgot some of the names that there's so many breeds. I think it is a Duroc. That's like my least favorite breed simply because the fat back on it is so deep and it's not marbled enough. Every other breed I think is like fantastic, you know? Heritage breed pigs. Berkshire became a thing. We put it on the menu. Berkshire didn't really, wasn't a thing. And Berkshire pigs are fantastic. I think that there's Berkshire pigs that are crossed with something and they're called like Kurabuta X or something like that, black pig in Japan. Regardless to say, if you're a pork culture, if you have a free range pig that has been like, if it looks multicolored almost and it's happy and free it's going to be a good tasting pig but certain genetics of pigs lead to different layering of fat throughout the pig there's some pigs that have fat that are just all lumped in together and there's other pigs where it's a little bit like i'm about to say wagyu where it's balanced throughout the pig but it's not And like, for example, if you have ever seen grass-fed beef from Argentina, you've actually been there, some of that grass-fed beef, that fat is just clumped together to me. Again, I'm the furthest thing from an expert on it. Instead of something that when you see corn-fed, it is much more, you know, layered throughout the meat. And I find that there's certain breeds of pigs where it's a little, the fat is a lot more lumped in. 
Those are not my favorite breeds. But basically anything else where the fat is evenly distributed, I'm a big fan of. Anyway, going back to Wagyu of pork, what a marketing term. <laughs> and right now, what I don't like is Wagyu everything. Wagyu everything. Man, we're at the point now where we've crossed the Rubicon and there's no going back where we can market pork as Wagyu. It's a hell, hell, of, a, hell, a hell of a time we're living in, you know. <laughs> yeah, and pork prices have been going up dramatically too. So you might be paying as much for uh, some pork as you might for some Wagyu. It's, it's been, especially in California with the, the changes in the law. Um, yeah, the pork prices have been going up. So might next be thing you know, more than ways than one. Next thing you know, someone's going to say, it's the Hanwu of pork. <laughs> <laughs> the next logical upgrade over Wagyu is Hanwu. <laughs> I think that there's a real debate, Hanwu versus, you know, A5 Miyazaki or anything that's top, top tier Japanese beef. Hanwu is so, so, so good. Would you eat a steak made out of Hanwu? It's too much. It's still too much, I I still think that I don't like mad cut, like thick cuts of of Wagyu. Mm -hmm. There are times and places that it makes sense, like if I go to Shima or something like that. But for the most part, I think it's way more effective in, in thin slices. So... If you don't know what Hanwu beef is, it is the native cow of Korea and arguably the most expensive beef in the world. And you cannot get it imported. Something I've been working on for quite some time that you cannot get. You cannot get it. You cannot get it in America. So there's no point in talking about this because you're probably never going to taste it. But it is a beautiful, beautiful beef. So, so good. And it's the, the Wagyu of beef. <laughs> it's not you can't say it's the wagyu beef it's the hanwu of it's the han it's wagyu it's the wagyu of hanwu <laughs> my brain is like curdling it's called a korean beef japanese beef it's just too much <laughs> they're gonna come after us Dave. we can't keep doing this you're right you're right anyway <laughs> Just just be careful on the marketing, and I think we should probably do a whole list of fantastic marketing terms, and I know I've spoken about this before, and then we'll get out of here. We wanted to put Porgy on the menu because this is a period where we were very, very selective about the regionality and locality of getting the ingredients, and this is what late aughts, and we wanted to put Porgy on the menu. Porgy is a local fish from Long Island, and it literally... I think we're the first restaurant that I know of in recent memory that put Porgy on the menu at Sambar. And we couldn't sell it. And I remember calling Bobby at Peerless Fish. And I'm like, Bobby, man, we can't sell Porgy. He's like, well, just call it Wild Long Island Sea Bream. Because <laughs> technically that's what it is. And then to call it Wild Long Island Sea Bream. And sure enough, starts to sell like oh fucking hotcakes. Right, that's and that's crazy. the power of words. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is now we've come full circle where porgy is now cool and acceptable. <laughs> so porgy sells. A wild Long Island Seabrim wouldn't sell. <laughs> porgy finally got his moment in the sun. I'm yeah. happy for porgy. So cheers to the wagyu of wild Long Island Seabrim. <laughs> give, give us five stars. <laughs>